warning, the following podcast, which contains strong language and mature content, is unsuitable for children or for the faint of heart. The subject matter discussed will be frightening and graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara and as always I'm here with my cool friend Jessica. Hello. Hello. And today we're going to do another installment of our true crime headlines updates we do, I think kind of almost every month now. It's just kind of like they scoot in whenever. But this time we have (laughs) one of the articles is an update to a a case Jess covered a couple years ago now, I think like in 2020. But before we get into that, if you want to hang out with us on social media, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and threads, uh, Twitter too, I guess. I don't really use it, but... I went on there and apparently a bunch of you found us. So that's exciting. Or you can hang out with us in our amazing Facebook group that is Three Spooked Girls Official. And if you would like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com backslash three spooked girls for as little as a dollar. You get one bonus episode a month, five and up. They get ad free episodes the day before and any extra video content that we do throughout the year. But with that, I'm going to go ahead and just dive in. So... One of the cases, and y'all go back if you missed it or you need a little of a refresher, Jessica covered the case of Jennifer Doulis for us. This was that Connecticut mom who went missing after taking her kids to school and she had like five kids and her ex-husband was sketch as fuck, (laughs) like so fucking sketch. (laughs) They were in the middle of a custody battle and he had actually been arrested or was going, yeah, was going to be charged and all of that for her murder. They have never found her remains. He did have a girlfriend named Michelle Traconis, who we're going to talk about now. This past week, she had her trial in terms of Jennifer's case. She was living with Fotis, Jennifer's estranged husband at the time, and, you know, they were together, all of that. She was convicted last week of conspiracy to commit murder, tampering with physical evidence, conspiracy to commit tampering with physical evidence, and hindering prosecution. Well, they hit her with everything. Yeah, they hit her with everything, and she was found guilty on all of it. There was a spokesperson for Jennifer's family. She put out a statement last Friday about this. She said, we've lost a mother, a daughter, a sister, a cousin, and a cherished friend. The verdict represents the meticulous collection, analysis, and presentation of evidence to illuminate an unconsciousable series of crimes. That immense body of evidence also serves to highlight the gaps that remain in this case, most important that Jennifer Farber Doulis still has not been found. It is our hope that the resurgent public interest in this case will spur new viable leads. Because honestly, it's really hard because I don't really know too much about his girlfriend to know if she'll actually even say anything. It's kind of like you hope so because she's already been found guilty 
guilty. It's not going to make any difference whether you say it or not, but like at least let the family know so they can have closure and put her to rest. If you remember like in the Heather Elvis case, there was like that, like, I think it was like 120 days after sentencing or like, no, it was like 12 months after sentencing or something like that. If you came forward with like the location of the body or gave any evidence that led to the recovery of the remains, your sentence could be lessened. Mm -hmm. Because remember, that was the big thing about Sydney. Like, is he going to say anything is when his time came up? It made me think of that case a lot. It really did. Yeah. And so I'm not sure if Connecticut has that same law because that was like in North or South Carolina. I can't remember which exactly the states I get. I get that area like mixed up geographically. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, there's that possibility that they could offer her maybe not like depending on her sentencing, especially if there's like a, a range of like years, like you may automatically get like the lower or something like that. Right. Yeah, that was kind of my thought too, or like even using parole as a bargaining chip Mm -hmm. type of thing, you know? So during the trial, the jury saw her interrogation video. This is when she admitted about seeing Fotis that morning because she was a ride or die for him. It's very true. So of course she was fucking lying to begin with. And in that video, she had said to police, I have no idea where Jennifer is and that's 100%. I just know that I went as the stupid girlfriend to help him out because he told me, come and clean the house. And I did. I'm sorry, though. Like, if there was blood and shit, I don't give a flying fuck who asked me. I would be like, what the fuck is going on? Like, what did you do? I mean, it would be a hard press to find a person that I would be like, "Uh, maybe we shouldn't call the cops. Right. And it's just it makes me so mad because she, in my opinion, is like pushing off responsibility to not only Fotis, but kind of like she tried to justify her actions because she said she told them also that that he said Jennifer was a monster and that he hated her. Right. I'm like, that still doesn't justify murder. There's no justification for that. I know they were in a, in a heated custody battle. Yes. Yeah, they were. They were in a really bad one. If she was truly the monster he was saying she was, that would have come out during the custody battle and would have given him legitimacy to be able to take his kids and whatnot. Well, at first I was like, oh, I can't because it's been like four years <laughs> since I did it. So I was like, where are all these like details? And then all of a sudden they were like flooding back. <laughs> right. I know. I was like, mm, we need a little refresher. It was one of those cases that was just so weird and played out out essentially like a movie oh for sure and there is a movie that's why like also it kind of like came into my brain to kind of look into her and see what was going on because I feel like we hadn't I'm sure there was other reports on stuff but I feel like we hadn't really heard about it too much so I was like oh shit let me go look and it's just so stupid because her defense attorney they just kept laying on the thing like oh she's not lying about being in the car with him yeah she says she was with him but she had nothing to do with anything else and it's like but you were in the car and you were there so wouldn't that make you an accessory you could potentially know and could have been more helpful exactly like when she went missing and right now it's four years later and i'm like what was the details of this story and same same with the person in the car you may have smelled something or you may have seen something in the back that didn't look right or he was acting weird and wives and significant others and whatever partners everyone everyone encompassing in a relationship you have to get over the whole protect your partner thing because somebody's life was taken Exactly. At the end of the day, like, do better by the person who's gone and be like, I tried my hardest to make sure that you were found. And if this cost me this relationship, it's 
probably not the relationship you should be in. Yep. And I really liked the closing arguments that the prosecution had. The prosecutor is Michelle Manning, and she said in her stuff, there's blood spatter throughout the garage, throughout the entire undercarriage of two cars, footprints, and swipes of blood. Her blood-soaked shirt and bra thrown out, along with zip ties, sponges, and duct tape. Make no mistake, this was a deliberate intentional murder. Jennifer is dead, and Fotis and Michelle Traconis intended that to happen. They agreed to work together to make it happen. This trial is very simple. It's about a conspiracy and about a cover-up. It's about Michelle Traconis's actions and how she and Fotis conspired together to murder the woman who was standing in their way. It's about the frustration of Fotis Doulis not seeing his kids. And every time those kids came around, Michelle Traconis had to leave her home. And we know she was sick of it. Another case of the fucking dude killing his ex-wife or soon-to-be ex-wife because of a fucking side chick. The prosecution went on to say, the frustration turned into anger and hatred. Listen to her own words in the police interviews, how she described Jennifer, someone she has never met. She described her as manipulating, angry, toxic. And then, of course, fucking the defense gets up there and they said, whatever Fotis Doulis' role was in the disappearance, I'll say that the likely death of Jennifer Doulis, likely death, her blood was everywhere, first of all. Michelle Chacronis did not know. She did not know that Fotis planned to harm her. Okay. Except for the fact that even if she didn't, like, let's say she walked into a crime scene and was like, there's blood everywhere. She didn't immediately call the cops. No. There was nothing to suggest that Michelle would even think that Fotis was capable of doing anything like that. And this is not Fotis's trial. Because it's Michelle Traconis's trial to convict her, you must find beyond a reasonable doubt that Michelle conspired with Fotis, not just to cause harm to Jennifer, but to murder her. And then he wrapped up with saying, you have to find beyond a reasonable doubt various elements that Michelle was a part of the plot to get rid of evidence, some microscopic, some in opaque garbage bags, but that she knew what was in it, knew its purpose, and what she did was the same exact intent as whatever Fotis had planned. Well, it's like you're not, you can't play stupid. You're gonna know when there's body parts or clean up from the fucking scene. Like you're gonna know. So, like I said, she was found guilty, and they set her bond for $6 million cash surety, and the state requested additional conditions, which the judge granted, and that was house arrest, electronic monitoring, and surrendering her passport. So she's not a flight risk, obviously. And we will have more updates in May, June-ish time for you because currently her sentencing is set for May 31st. So I'll be interested to see what happens between now and then and how all of that plays out. For sure. And I wonder if, because like this would be an interesting time, like that gap between like March and May, where if she comes forward and is like, hey, I got info. Here it is. Mm-hmm. All right, this next one is going to piss everybody off. I covered this on TikTok because as soon as I saw the headline, I was like, what the actual fuck? So this next case, the headline reads, mom who left toddler alone for 10 days at home to go on a Caribbean vacation pleads guilty to murder. I just can't. (laughs) I know. Like, what the fuck did you think was going to happen? So Crystal Candelario, age 32, a Ohio mom, she straight up left her little baby all by herself. Not only did she go out of state, she went out of the country and was gone for 10 days. And this baby was by herself. 
So sad. And just recently, Crystal did go to court and she entered guilty pleas for one count of aggravated murder and one count of endangering children. She was acquitted of two counts of murder and one count of felonious assault. So this all transpired back on June 6th of last year. And Crystal left 16-month-old baby Jalen alone and unattended at their house. She left to go on her vacation. She went to Detroit, Michigan, and then she went to Puerto Rico. And she did not get back home until June 16th. And that morning that she got home, she found baby Jalen unresponsive and called authorities. And Jalen was pronounced dead as soon as first responders arrived. There was an investigation done by the Cleveland Police Department's homicide unit. They revealed that Jalen was extremely dehydrated at the time of her death. They also stated that she was found in a pack and play on a liner soiled with urine and feces and soiled blankets. That's so terrible. And she was arrested the next day, so June 17th, and that's when she was charged. She was also terminated from her position as building substitute at Cleveland Elementary School Citizens Academy Glenville after this arrest, of course. School officials put out a statement and said, this case is one of those truly unimaginable cases that will stick with me for many years to come. Oh, this is from the prosecution, my bad. As prosecutors, it is our job to represent the victims. And today we spoke on behalf of 16-month-old Jalen, who is no longer with us due to the selfish decisions her mother made. This conviction today is the first step towards justice for Jalen. And her sentencing is scheduled for March 18th, so that's going to be coming up quick. Per Ohio state law, she is facing life in prison, which it's like, good. What the fuck did you think was going to happen? I'm just, I am baffled. Like, okay, Casey Anthony 2.0. What the actual fuck? Like, what did you think was going to happen? You left... A toddler and a pack and play for a week and a half. Right. Let's just say that mom left plenty of food and water and all within reachable. We're talking like, what if she, it sounds like they lived in like an, like an apartment type place. What if a fire had broken out? What if a burglar had come in and kidnapped her? I mean, which probably, you know, maybe the burglar would have taken the baby to a fire station. That would have been a great option. I get that like people want to go on vacations, but when you have a child, like the safety of your child comes first. Exactly. And you just don't go on your vacation. Or take them with you. Mm Mm-hmm. Under two years old, you don't, I don't know about international, but like a lot of airlines, like under two. It's free. It's free. Like they sit on your lap. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So she was just being selfish and a fucking monster. Like, oh, God. Makes me so sad. Right. I know. Hurts my heart actually so much. I know. Same. She gonna get what's coming to her in in prison. Let's just be real. I don't know if anyone's been like severely dehydrated before, but it is like the, it's so terrible. It's literally so terrible. Oh, yeah. A baby not being able to like understand like where mom is, why my body feels this way and just being alone. Oh my God, my heart. I just can't. I know. She was probably terrified. Just makes me so mad. And on the theme of staying mad, I have one other children's (laughs) case (laughs) that I've kind of seen pop up here and there. So I was like, let me grab this for our episode of the headlines. And I want to keep an eye on it. And I'll bring you guys updates with this because it's still also ongoing. Mm -hmm. So our headline for this one reads three year old boy missing after mom sent him to male's friends home for disciplinary reasons, which another article came out and that was like, the mom's boyfriend. Oh, 
It's like, I don't know who's male friend. Right. It's the moms. So Elijah View, he's a three-year-old boy from Wisconsin who went missing after his mother sent him to a male friend, which other articles say boyfriend, so I'm not sure which, for this disciplinary action. He was last seen by an adult caregiver around 8 a.m. on that Tuesday at a residence in Two Rivers. And he was reported missing shortly before 11 a.m. that day, prompting an area-wide search that has since expanded to both land and water. And this male friend slash boyfriend, his name is Jesse Vang, and the mother's name is Katrina Barr. They were both arrested on suspicions of child's neglect with this case. And that residence that I mentioned was Jesse's. So that's also sus. Now, during a bail hearing last week, the prosecution stated that Katrina, the mom, intentionally sent that child for disciplinary reasons for more than a week to the residence. She was aware of the tactics used and the lack of care provided. This was an intentional thing by her. And she also lied to authorities at least two times about her whereabouts were when they were, you know, trying to fucking find her. And they have her set on a $15,000 cash bond on suspicion of being party to the child neglect. And then Jesse was held on a $20,000 bond on suspicion of child neglect related to his lack of care or disciplinary tactics. At the time of his arrest, he was also under federal supervision on unrelated charges. So that's cool. Love this. Literally, he has previous charges for these three things. And just knowing these three things, you would not be in my fucking life with my child. Just saying. Some of his charges that he's had in the past include aggravated battery, disorderly conduct, and child abuse. You know, that stupid man probably gave a baby mama story. Mm -hmm. They're going to go back to court, uh, I think, this coming week. So we'll kind of see how it goes as far as that. And authority said, you know, we're not going to rule anything out and we're not going to put blame on one particular person and say they did this or that when nobody really knows anything yet. Which is fair because, you know, you got to get all your evidence and find out the facts before you Mm -hmm. can fully say what's going on. They're still both hella part of it, though. Oh, for sure. And they're like, yeah, we fucking, we know this. But they are still looking for him. There's a lot of wooded areas and whatnot in this area that they live in. So they are doing all kinds of sweeps trying to find Elijah. And there was a press conference as well. And it just broke my heart because his grandma and his aunt, they were both kind of the front line of everything when they were talking. His aunt had said, we cannot express the depth of our sorrow nor the desperation that consumes us as each moment passes without news of Elijah's safety. Every day without him, it feels like a piece of our hearts are missing. We long to hear his laughter, to witness his curiosity, and to feel the warmth of his embrace. The emptiness left in his absence is a void that cannot be filled by anything else. And then they addressed the baby directly and said, if you can hear us, know that you're deeply missed and loved and we will not rest until you're safely back in our arms. It just breaks my damn heart. And Jesse, interesting enough, was the one that called 911 to report him missing that day. That is an interesting fact. Uh Uh-huh. I thought it was too. So on the day that Elijah went missing, Jesse said that he got his own son ready for school and saw Elijah still sleeping. And the two of them had breakfast later. Jesse said he went back to sleep and when he woke up, Elijah was missing. You went to sleep with a three-year-old in the house. What was the three-year-old doing? 
Right, exactly. And some interesting stuff that Katrina said to authorities. She said that Jesse was the enforcer of rules in the relationship and that some of the disciplinary measures included praying, saying he was sorry, and memorizing rules of conduct. This kid is three, just saying. And oh, this last one. She reportedly told the cops she wanted Jesse to teach Elijah how to be a man. It's three. He's fucking three. And apparently this disciplinary setup was basically set up like a boot camp, he said. He told police he gets pretty tired from, I guess, from like standing too. And when Elijah tried to sit down, Jesse would ask him if he wanted cold water. He would give the baby cold showers as a form of punishment. For not standing. Yep. He's three. He's got little legs. Exactly. The owner of Ross Auto Service in Two Rivers shared an image with news outlets of Elijah at the shop with Jesse on February 16th. So a few days before he was reported missing. Four days, actually. So that's the last time anyone saw him. And that store owner said there was nothing unusual at the time. There was no red flags or anything. But as soon as he saw Elijah was missing, he went straight to police. Good. Yes. They also added that for anyone in that area, Elijah is three feet tall, has dark blonde hair and brown eyes and weighs about 45 pounds. I'll have probably already put a picture up of him for you guys in the video version. He has a birthmark on his left knee and his Amber Alert is still active and anyone with information is urged to call the number 1-844-267-6648. And that again is a case in Wisconsin. So if you are in that area, please be on the lookout. It's just so heartbreaking because we see way too many cases like this and it just hurts my heart. It's true. All right. Well, that is going to go ahead and wrap us up for today for our updates on true crime headlines. Let us know your guys' thoughts in the comments if you're watching this on YouTube or if you are listening, let us know in the Facebook group. But with that, we will go ahead and sign off and we will see you guys back here on Thursday. Bye, guys. Toodles. Toodles.